Okay, I'll get the mate. Hello, and welcome back to episode 63 of uh, Cast Me to Hell with me, Robbie. Um, and today, unfortunately, Seb is not available. However, I've managed to rope in Neil from uh, We Needed Roads podcast. Uh, so welcome to the show, Neil. Hey, Robbie, how's it going? Yeah, it's, uh, it's going good. You know, uh, we've just chatted about this film, so we are, we're returning to our Video Nasties feature. Um, and today we're looking at 1981's The Burning, um, which um, it's an interesting film, I think, you know, especially when you're looking through kind of Video Nasties. Um, so I think before we kind of jump into anything, um, you know, plug your podcast, Neil, tell us all about what you do. <laughs> Well, it's, it's funny because you guys, I think we all started around the same time, didn't we, actually? Yeah, we did. I'm pretty sure because we were like some of the first people following each other's pods yeah. when it uh, first happened. I mean, it was what, I think February 2021, I think it was, around yeah, the time. Yeah. You guys are up to, let's say, you guys are up to 64. We were up to 46, I think, at the minute. Cause yeah. We, we try and do every two weeks, but it just isn't possible. As yeah, it's life, find, man. Uh, you know. It's life. Life gets in the way. It doesn't, life doesn't find a way. Life gets in the way when you <laughs> yeah. start your podcast on a regular <laughs> Regular thing, but um, yeah, me and David, um, my co-host, he also can't be here today. <coughs> he, um, we've used to work together for, for a, a TV company that I'm still at, so we can't bash him too much. But he, he ha- I continuously have to cut him just bashing where I work on, on our. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we just like I think you guys like to focus more on, like you say, on the horror side of things, and you do a lot of deep dives on stuff that's classic stuff, like we're going to be doing today. And uh, we try to keep up with everything that's coming out as it happens. Yeah. Um, and when, I think when we first started, we would try and do it. You know, we, you know, like we watched One Division, and then we did a spoiler special on it right after it finished. And then we realised it really didn't make much difference in the downloads with everyone was doing it. So we was like, you <laughs> yeah. know, give it a bit of room to breathe, and let let us have a, our opinion on it a little bit later. And that's kind of what we do now. So you know, it varies between spoiler specials on new films or movies. Uh, sometimes we do separate episodes. Other times you'll just do spoilers at the end of the pod on a particular uh, show or movie. We do trader breakdowns. We do. Uh, we have guests occasionally, not too often, but um, we got a crime author in the office where I work called Charlie Gallagher. Oh, nice. And so he, he yeah. So you know, an ex-copper who now writes crime thrillers. He's like, like he is someone. Some of the stuff we hear out of him on a daily basis is like, you might want to mention it on the show, Charlie. And uh, how did you kill? How are you going to kill someone next time? We keep <laughs> trying to get him to kill killers in his books. Yeah, uh, I'm sure he's going to do it sometime. So yeah, but, yeah. So it's good. Uh, nice to be here today. Yeah, awesome, man. I mean, it's, it's good to have you on. We're, we're trying to get more guests on as well, and you know, it's lined up. I think you're the second guest who's uh, who's joined us on the show, so it's always it's always good to have people oh, on. Nice. You know, help you know, just help each other grow. Um, and I, I think this is my second time being a guest on someone else's show as well. So, nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's up. yeah. So, um, are you are you kind of familiar with the the, the video nasties idea and that kind of you know the yeah, idea? Yeah, I think about, I stood- uh, yeah, I think I studied a bit when I was at college. So I did a, I did two years of like DTEC film yeah. studies and A-levels and that. And then I went and did my film degree. So I think we have one section where it was all about video nasties and the VBFC and how that all came about. Um, but probably my first memory of like a video nasty was the classic that you can't beat was, which was watching Evil Dead, yeah. the first one, on a, God knows how many times it had been copied VHS on a, <laughs> at school and lunchtime in like one of the, room somewhere where someone was like oh i've got it you know like yeah like you know smuggling illicit content into the school and <laughs> and you could and the quality of it was so bad we couldn't even really see what the hell was going on you know, <laughs> like darkened rooms yeah and you know i didn't really make that much of a impression i was like i can't really see what's going on see a bit of blood spurting around everywhere 
I mean, on the old days of VHS with the tracking on it being so bad as well. And yeah, uh, for people who don't know what tracking is, <laughs> to show my age, it's uh, when you had a VHS tape in. Sometimes the quality would kind of go over a bit, and there was a button on the VHS that you would turn to try and it's almost like trying to tune it in properly, yeah. like tuning in a radio, but for video, which seems bizarre now in the days of streaming. So uh, yeah, that was kind of my first one. But this film we're going to talk about today, The Burning. I think I actually bought it on an ex-rental place. And really? we watched it at college at lunchtime. Because I just remember the stuff with, well, the guy walking around with shears, stabbing everyone with them. Yeah, that's um, effectively what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of almost a thing. Like, yo, although the film is called The Burning, it, it could have easily just been called The Shearing or The Stabbing. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that finding kind of... Um, you know, illicit content, as you'd call it, is, you know, it, I think it's a rite of passage. I mean, when I was young, we, and I was at kind of school, we, we, VHS was kind of done and DVDs were coming out a lot more. And there was one guy in my year who was able to get downloaded videos and get pirate copies. So I would always be going to him and he would sell them for like three pounds. Um, and I remember getting stuff like House of Wax, porn films, <laughs> just all of this kind of stuff from him and then smuggling it home. Um, but the, you, you say about it being called The Burning um, and to kind of touch on the production of this film um, it does have you know uh, it's, it's, it's hard to skate around it but this was one of the first films that Harvey Weinstein was involved in you know um, mm. which does kind of taint it a little bit especially when you look at some of the characters and some of the scenes in this in particular which we'll discuss when we get to um, Yes. I mean, yeah, let's talk, let, we can't really not talk about the sexual predator in the room because, um, uh, I mean, there was even an accusation of Weinstein's usual behaviour from a former production assistant on the burning. So even on his first film, he acted like a complete piece of shit back then, even in 1981. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> it's kind of classic, isn't it? And when, when you see hard. that, I think it was, um, it's funny because his brother's gone very, very quiet since all this stuff happened. And his yeah. brother is actually, he was down as co-writer, isn't it? So yeah. Bob Weinstein, it, so... Uh, and it's interesting because it's um, the when you watch it, you kind of do get you know Friday the Thirteenth vibe from it. It's a summer, it's a summer camp counselor slasher. Um, but apparently, I don't know if this is just them saying you know we had this before to kind of save face, maybe. But apparently, you know, it was around nineteen eighty that they started to get the idea for this camp slasher, and apparently, both of you know Friday the Thirteenth Part One and um, the burning went into production around the same time. And, you know, uh, there was a, there's another film that came out around the same time called don't go into the house, uh, which features a um, killer that uses a flamethrower. And that was originally called the burning. But when they heard that they wanted this to be called the burning, they changed the name of that. So, um, and it did have a knock on effect to madman as well, which we spoke about previously where madman was also based on the legend of Cropsey but they had to do a complete massive rewrite on that because it was kind of coming out at the same time. Um, and that's kind of, you know, a lot of slasher films kind of, when you get any film craze um, and everybody's kind of trying to jump on the bandwagon, they're always going to kind of step on each other's toes a little bit. Yeah, you always get that. I mean, you know, how many years ago was it we had, there was two Volcano films came out that year. <laughs> Dante speaking, yeah. um, I think it was just called Volcano. I can't, even, I can't actually remember the other one. You had Deep Impact and Armageddon. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, with and with horror films, whenever anyone has a successful horror film, you will get so many variations on the theme of that same thing coming out at the same time. 
It was funny, I was actually, when I was doing a bit of research on this, um, I was looking up the director, and it's actually written by a British guy called Tony Malam. And he started his career, according to Wikipedia, as a, a guy, as a, like an actor and TV presenter. But his first film was about the 1972 FA Cup and 100 years of the FA Cup at the time. So how you get from that <laughs> and doing documentaries with Richard Attenborough, uh, his first kind of feature debut was a 1979 British espionage thriller called The Riddles of the Sands. Uh, but I think it was his earlier work doing a Genesis documentary that put him in the same company as the Weinstein Brothers. Because at the time, they were music promoters looking to get into filmmaking, as was uh, Malam at the time. So I think this led to them getting together. And of course, The Burning is, uh, officially or unofficially, I'm not quite sure, the first ever Miramax film. Yeah. And I do remember seeing the logo on the uh, dodgy copy we watched back on a day. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know that Miramax was named, kind of put together of their parents, Miriam and Max. Mm. I, will, I think, you know, it's all. it just seems to be that a lot of the times... Uh, film company names are just kind of thrown together or I was I mean I've been watching ironically enough I've been watching Seinfeld recently I've just kind of got into Seinfeld and then I watched this and obviously this has the the film debut of of Jason Alexander I was about to say George Costanza um, and, I mean you're not far wrong to be fair he's very close to George in it in some way it is yeah but I don't know I think you know um Jason Alexander just has such this this chemistry and I don't know if it's because I love George Costanza so much that I could hear his voice kind of cutting through everything in every scene he was in. Well, that's what, yeah, when I was watching it, I was wondering how much of this is scripted and how much of that is just Jason Alexander doing what he wants because he yeah. does sound like the Jason Alexander we know from Seinfeld. And yeah. I was just like, I know he's playing kind of like the jockey guy a little bit. And, then I, think, and I think we'll get into that as we kind of like work away through it. Uh, the film, but I mean, we have to start. Well, it wasn't just Jason Alexander, Fisher Stevens was in it, who yeah. I remember massively from Short Circuit, which is in no way problematic because he's a white <laughs> Jewish guy playing an Indian, yeah, <laughs> uh, American, uh, yes, in, I in, in but you I do what? also remember him. He was in, um, I think what I knew him for a bit more than Short Circuit was he was the best friend of Karl McCockman's character, not Karl McCockman, Kyle Chan, Kyle Chandler's character in Do you remember a show called Early Edition? No, it was really bells. It was it, it was like a quantum leap ripoff where <laughs> this guy would get a the morning's newspaper early the day okay. before, and then he would go and try and stop stuff that was going to happen, or you know, and it was it was, it was just a quantum leap ripoff. And yeah, like I said, uh, Carl Chandler from Friday Night Lights, coach, was yeah. the main guy in it, and uh, Fisher Stevens, who is in the burning, was his best friend, nosy neighbor, I believe, if I remember rightly. But also, we had a <laughs> Holly Hunter in it, and I was trying to figure out which one Holly Hunter was, and I think I think it was about a good forty-five minutes into the film till she even gets a line in it. Yeah, um, I can't even remember the, the the name of the character she plays. I think I, it's like a yeah. small role, isn't it? So we, but it is. It's kind of filmed filled with like characters' names who I don't really know, um, and maybe this. You know, I, I'm always really bad with character names. It's just one of those things that I always struggle with. But I mean, the, the cast in it is actually pretty well. Um, I think Brian Backer, I think, went on to be in Fast Times at Richmond High um, a year after, and then I think he did, you know, some some other stuff. I think he, apparently he was in Police Academy Four, <laughs> you know, which is obviously oh, the classic. Prop. Yeah, you know, um, but yeah, I think. Another interesting thing that I do kind of love about it is I remember years ago I watched um, 
this uh, I loved it. So it was a documentary by um, Josh Joshua Zeman and Barbara Brancacchio, I think that's pronounced. Um, and it's a it's a it's kind of a examination into the cross cropsy legend, which is kind of a New York folk folk tale about you know somebody who had been uh, kidnapping kids. And I think it's kind of they believe that there was a guy called Andrew Rand who was kind of arrested for taking some but the documentary itself is really creepy it talk you know there's some footage in there of, of kind of 1970s mental health um hospitals i guess we'd call them that now but back in the days you know asylums or whatever and, and it Pretty was much, yeah. yeah and it's really brutal kind of harrowing footage you've kind of hit on a point there actually so you said the original legend of this guy cropsy was about a guy who was so he was kind of taking kids and killing them yeah and then, obviously, with the burning, that just makes you think. So, did um, people who made Nightmare on Elm Street have the similar idea? Maybe because that yeah. could be linked to this in that way as well. Yeah, That's very similar. You know, you've got the pervert killer who is burnt, obviously, on purpose. There, not by accident. Yeah. Like we're gonna like what happens here. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one, man. It's definitely interesting. I mean, uh, I think as we get into it at the start. Um, yeah, let's jump know, into the start. Have, it does sound like Cropsy himself actually does deserve a bit of a scare because there is that line when the kids are like outside the window and he says, oh, he beat that guy up. Yeah. So, okay, you know, fair enough. He, if he's beating up kids, then yeah, you know, a little scare is fine. I do wonder where the hell did they get the skull from? That's what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> where did they get that random skull from? And there's some, I mean, I, I kind of like the way in which the start of the film does it kind of jumps straight into it um you know we do start in the camp with the with the boys kind of whispering around this prank they've got to play um and obviously the prank goes wrong they've got this kind of skull covered in worms with candles in it um and yet again yeah i was wondering i don't know where i don't know if somebody grave robbed or something like that maybe um but yeah, it was. Uh, I, and I, I kind of, I love that whole scene of him, uh, kind of getting set on fire and then running out. Well, I mean, they get the first good. Yeah, I think it had its first big jump scare there for me when he rolled over. That got yeah. me. I'd like, I'd seen it years ago, and I just didn't remember. And I'm sitting there watching. And I was like, because you don't expect. I suppose because in older horror films, even the camera works changed right from the modern yeah. day. The modern day now, there'd be so many cuts and different angles, and it's slowly, yeah. you know. And just to see it in almost like a wide master shot that he rolls and the guy jumps all night. I was like, that got, I was like, oh, that, that absolutely made me jump at the start there. And I was like, fair play, okay. Because I didn't remember when I said we were going to watch this. I was like, I remember watching it once. I remember it, it didn't, didn't make much of an impression on me at all yeah. the first time around. I was like, oh, it's just another crap horror film from the early 80s. And uh, yeah, I just remember it was about, about the guy with the shears. Um, but yeah, I mean, fire safety, who keeps a can of gasoline that big when it's going to bed <laughs> as well, right? You know. Yeah, that is asking for trouble. Yeah, definitely. Um, but the, I mean, the one thing that I kind of notice is, I and I, I've, I always love, you know, the the when they do a stunt of somebody on fire. You you see it in kind of later Friday the Thirteenth films and other ones. But when people are set on fire, the one thing I did notice is in some of the shots, you can almost kind of make out, you know, the kind of almost like motorbike kind of crash helmet the guy is wearing. But I think it, I think it sets it up well, and then, you know, then we go into the hospital and we get the, the scene where we get the, you know, we get the first shot of his kind of burnt hand, which kind of looks pretty gnarly, looks pretty cool, and and probably the, one of the worst orderlies you're ever going to see. I mean, he's yeah. actually referring to a patient at the hospital as, yeah, man, he's well done. He's like a big man. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure they don't do Big Macs well done anywhere. It's no. McDonald's, man. It's not like you're going to a fine burger place. So Yeah. And he, and he just said the doctor did not want to go in that room. He's like, no, no. you're good, man. I don't I really, I'm really not bad. No, man, you've got to see this shit, you know. It's like, yeah. It was, it was, like, it was he great. Was yeah. every, he was every token black character from yeah. the 80s there, that guy. Um, yeah, it was. It was, but I guess you know. I think, and I think he's the only black character in the film. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, well, we're just making as token as we can. You know. Um, the the one thing I kind of liked that you know it gets into it quite quickly. We then jump to five years later and Cropsey's leaving, but and this is something watching it back that it didn't make any sense to me. The why he killed the the sex worker. Yeah. Yeah, it's not connected in any way to the kids at the camp. Because no. uh, you even have the bit with the nurses saying, in that, it's quite a bad montage, right? The montage bit where he's like getting out and he's like in the wheelchair yeah. or walking out. And you've just got all these different voices coming at you. And it's like, uh, do nurses really say, oh, control your feelings for revenge? Yeah. I, I don't feel like there's something a, a nurse would say to you. Perhaps a psychiatrist might say that to you. Yeah. But like you say, it doesn't make, why kill a prostitute that has nothing to do with the kids at the camp? Or your plan for revenge. I almost think, actually, you, did you really need the hospital scene? You I, could have easily yeah. just—you could have just gone straight to the credits after the burning bit, and then five years later, new kids coming into the camp again, um, and you just have that—you know—standard horror shot of someone working in the background POV, yeah. where you kind of then see, you know, you could have the the hands, you could have the burnt hand there, and yeah. it would cut out some some that really bad uh, orderly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. I mean the 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 sex worker's kill was kind of okay, and I, I he looks you know if you've ever seen you know the old style um, Invisible Man when he's like Claude Rains you know when he's yeah, bandaged yeah. up and he's got the hat on he kind of looked like you know like a nineteen fifties private detective when he killed him, but it it felt to me because one thing I noticed about um, and I think it was it was paced pretty well but you don't get your first kill until like. 47 48 minutes into it so for me it kind of felt like it was either a reshoot they were thinking well actually we don't get a kill soon um or they kind of said well just throw this in so we can get a, you need to get kill early yeah yeah definitely. so maybe yeah, you're right. it, doesn't, it does not feel like part of the same film does it like in no. terms of uh how he's dressed location and even reason for the murder. Oh, the one thing that did surprise me though, because I was like, you know, in all these type of films, uh, when, you know, a girl's getting killed near the start by the murderer, she's always shouting and screaming. But she went really quiet. And I did not yeah. expect that when he was like, came out, which was, I, I was expecting her to be like, as usual. Yeah. It's only when he started actually stabbing her. But yeah, I, I was quite, uh, that, was a, that was a good choice by the actress. I was, I was not expecting her to like, go really quiet and like, almost whimpering when she saw the guy's face. So, yeah. you know, you don't generally get great performances in these types of films in that type of small role. And she did really well with that, I thought. Yeah, no, I agree. I think on that. Um, and then, I think, you know, I think one thing that kind of... Because it jumps to the, the camp quite quickly, doesn't it? Uh, but then mm. it takes a long time. And I thought what was an interesting kind of setup is with Friday the 13th and a lot of camp counsellor films, it's either they've just arrived or they're arriving there early before the campers turn up however in this one there was there was loads of people that the camp was full and it kind of um you know uh it it you could you can say it's a camp slasher but it kind of has a bit of a different feeling because 
it's only when they go away from the camp and they go on that, you know, the boat trip yeah. that we actually start again. Um, but we're introduced to some kind of uh, rapey characters, we did say, didn't we? Oh, man, the softball scene, Jesus Christ. That has not aged well. I mean, what was no. with the art shots? Jesus. I mean, Eddie basically assaults that girl at the yeah. start of the film. <laughs> yeah. And and then, you know, uh, you're just watching it going, what are you doing? And then, um, I forget the actress's name, but I think it's a... Oh, I've forgotten this bit of shit. Um, is it Sally? Sally, yeah, I think that's the one that... Because there's it's Eddie that's after her, isn't it? And I think it is no, um, Sally's Gla- Glazer, Glazer, who is another. I can't different. remember the other girl. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well. Uh, yeah, the other I mean, di- the other girl's Karen. That's Karen. It. That's it. Yeah. So Eddie's Eddie's kind of basically just assaults Karen at the start of the film, but it's so and you can tell this is written by a pervy guy uh, back in the day. Yeah. She's like, well, why don't you report him? Oh yeah, she's that scared of him. She literally, her friend says, well, report him then. And she's oh, but I kind of like him. You're like, right, so you're... That is such bad writing, you know, <laughs> that, well, in, 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 through, through the modern lens, anyway. At least, you know, uh, well, like, it's, it's a Weinstein writer. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, he's... Yeah. yeah. He's watching that. I, I actually, and right in that softball scene, you have uh, another near miss with Tiger. Uh, the yeah. girl Tiger going out to get the ball. And I thought that was done really well, because I was like, and here comes the first, you know, yeah. kill. And I no, agree. we held off on it. I thought, oh, they've done very well there. So not, I, not do it. Yeah. Well, I thought they do it twice. They do it with, um, you know, with uh, Tiger who goes away. And then they do it with Woodcock later, who's, you know, Fisher Stevens. And yeah, yeah. I, I did kind of like it, you know. I, you expect one of these kind of almost like fake out follows. But to do it twice was kind of quite cool. Um, I suppose so. There's that rule of threes you get in a lot of filmmaking where something yeah. happens, doesn't happen the first time, it doesn't work the second time. Then the third time, it happens. Um, yeah. it happens. So. They, that in this film follows, you know, a lot of those things uh, by the book. I, I was just... going to say, I was looking at um, the main actress uh, there, Sally, played by an actress called Carrick Glenn, and she literally did one other film after this on a short. And oh, um, wow. after her running with Alfred the Sexual Pervert, I mean, there is never a true line <laughs> written in the film by a Weinstein when someone goes, that guy is a sexual pervert. Yeah. And, I mean, so we've got to talk about Alfred. Yeah, let's talk uh, about Alfred. Who is... Who ends up, so he's the creepy guy who's spying on the girl in the showers. But of course, just being a film in the 80s, that's perfectly fine behavior. Although, it's yeah. Not. No, no, it's definitely film, not. Actually, <laughs> but a lot of these other films, it'd be played for comedy in like, you know, stuff like Animal House and yeah. that were coming out of time. So for a horror film to actually have a bit more, no, that's wrong, we'll report him. And they don't obviously go as far because of the time, but there is quite a bit, well, look, should we throw him off the camp? And yeah. It's discussed at least, which was a surprise. But somehow Eddie, that's uh, sorry, not Eddie, somehow, um, yeah, sorry, some, somehow, I've lost his name again, where is it? Is it Glazer? No, Glazer's a dickhead. Uh, Alfred. Glazer's so, yeah. Alfred. <laughs> so somehow Alfred, the sexual pervert, ends up becoming the de facto final boy of the film as it goes on. And yeah. then, again, that's something we can get into in a bit, that usually these types of films, the focus is completely on the girl surviving. Yeah. And it's not in this film, it's, it's a guy. But I think they may have picked the wrong guy. I think definitely. I think, um, well, uh, I George Costanza. Yeah, he should have been. I mean, he technically is the final the boy. Um, yeah, he but is. It, it was in one of the productions. Um, you know, originally Alfie was going to die, and it makes a lot more sense oh, okay. because, like you said, he kind. They try to make him a sympathetic character because you know you you get 
but then you get this, you know, you get the scene where he's he's perving on Sally in the shower, uh, which classic, you know, probably enforced by Weinstein. Um, and then you get an, other random scenes where somebody goes off. It's mainly Glazier goes off to have sex and Alfie just goes to watch for some reason. Yeah. And it's really, really creepy, you know? And well, I mean, and let's talk about Glazier. Glazier is brilliant. He's also at least 20 years older than the other characters yeah. in the film. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he made me think of, uh, is it Billy from Stranger Things? He's like, this yeah. guy's got the same vibe as Billy from Stranger Things. You know, he's just, he, he's just an absolute 80s meathead, this guy, you know, when yeah. you him. Yeah, and it is. It's like that, you know. Um, and I remember because obviously we were exchanging some um, some messages, kind of after you'd done your first watch, and you said like, none, kind of none of the characters are that likable. Um, and I think they fall into. I think the, the kind of the two characters that I mainly did like and mainly did stand out, probably because of their, you know, the actors behind them were um, Jason Alexander's David. Um, and then Fisher Stevens uh, Woodcock. Other than that, yeah. you know, you get a kind of uh, and the adult camp counselor who's kind of okay, a bit forgettable. The female one who's the same, and then you get Eddie and Glazier who are just you know rapists, and it's kind yeah. of like I'm not actually fussed about some of these people dying, you know? Yeah, and yet in a modern film, you'd be like, "Yep, these people." They're horrible, and they're going to die, uh, and they deserve to die. But in this, I don't think that's what those filmmakers are going for. I no. think they literally think, no, these these are our heroes. But um, yeah, like you say, I think David, young George Costanza, I mean, there was a certain line he says where he goes, what am I, Masters and Johnson? And the delivery is just spot on, oh, like yeah. he delivers in Seinfeld. And yeah. um, well, this is what I, actually I, I was quite surprised at as well, is that, you know, I think, okay, everyone's going to be addicted to Alfred, and he's going to be the kid that maybe like sympathizes with the killer a little bit or something. And I was thinking, yeah. I think perhaps he's going to help out with the killer or something like that. And when I first time I watched it and yet all the other boys, except um, Glazer, who's a dick, as we've established, all the other boys are actually pretty decent to Alfred. Yeah. And I was not, I was surprised by that. Like uh, young George Costanza, as I'm going to keep referring to him, <laughs> is uh, a really stand up decent guy in it. He's, he's like you say, he is the most likable character in the film. Yeah, so um, that scene or that kind of character of Alfie and that that whole thing, like you were saying, they have an animal house and films like that where somebody's spying on women showering. Um, I don't know if you watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but oh yes, <laughs> yeah, you, you know the episode where they're on um, the ski mountain and there's the guy who's stayed, who's kind of like has stayed on there and is always partying and he's kind of stuck in the 80s and they go to a scene and they're like well we're spying on women and then they're like okay and then what well, how are we going to prank them so oh, the prank is that we then stick our dicks through and they're like that just sounds like sexual assault as opposed to a prank it's kind of like that you know? um and i think we were saying before we started recording about um american pie you know um your point about that yeah you're your, your hero, you know, Jim and Stifler and the gang when you're watching that in the uh, mid-90s, late, uh, early 2000s, they're the guys you're supposed to be on the side of, and yet they're filming a girl naked and sticking it on the internet for everyone to watch. Set to, I think, Blink-182, Blink and it's like one of the highlight scenes of the film. 
but and it's a strange thing. I think, yeah, you look, you you and you don't have to say, oh no, this film's cancelled, really that rubbish. I think you, what you have to say is you can't judge a film that's representative of the time through the lens of through modern lens. Yeah. Now, yeah, we look at that now. I mean, I was I was probably around the same age as those guys when those films came out. So <laughs> you know, I, I could be. I mean, yeah, we love you know, we love the film when it came out. I remember seeing the first two American Pies in the cinema. Oh, I even catch I even seen for for was it Varsity Blues we saw in the cinema. Oh wow! Which was bloody James Vanderbeek, and yeah, we got dragged to see that by the girls at the time. They were like, "Oh yeah, we want to see that." I was like, "Yeah, okay." And then he was absolutely amazed by the amount of female nudity in the whipped in the whipped cream bikini. And yeah, <laughs> you're just like, okay. And there's scenes at strip clubs and all that in there, and you're just watching them going, "Oh really? That was the weirdest double bill ever." Because we saw that, and then eyes wide shut later. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a very. <laughs> I got a lot. I got a lot. I got a lot of shit for that because I was in my you know film school. Oh, it's oh, Kubrick, yeah. man. We have to go and see it. It's in the cinema. How often is it Kubrick? And then everyone's just looking at me like, Neil, we're never letting you demo your recommendations again. Yeah, I know. That's so good, man. Um, as a, it sounded like a very erotic cinema weekend as well, you know? It, it was an interesting... <laughs> that was, that, that was um, the same day, back to back. Oh, wow. Fact, I think it was a, a Boxing Day one year, and there might have even been a third film, and I want to say the third film was Dogma. Oh, wow. Which we finished on. So at least we finished yeah. on a high, you know? Yeah, that's... Everyone was happy after that. <laughs> Um, I, I'm trying to think kind of like getting back to the story um, yeah. one scene that I did kind of love and I think they did this uh, for me they did this a bit better than um, when it was done in uh, one of the Friday the 13th films and that's the campfire scene um, it, I the think legend the way, of Cropsy yeah the legend of Cropsy um, and I love kind of you know urban myths and all of that stuff that's why probably the Cropsy documentary I found so fascinating Um but that scene is, it's, it's, I don't know. I thought it was so well shot the way in which behind them, you couldn't see anything. And it was kind of like, that was the only bit that kind of existed at the time, you know, until kind of we get, obviously, if you have a campfire scene in a horror film, explaining a legend that happened, you're going to get somebody pretending to be a, a killer. I think it happened in Friday the 13th. Yeah. I think it happened in Madman. You know, it's, it's like, it's par for the course. But I think, like, when they were explaining it, it was kind of really, really quite cool. Um, there, there was one bit that didn't make sense to me, though. Um, and that's because I think they, I think they did this scene, and when they, I don't think they put it together when they wrote it, because the person who's telling the, the urban legend was also there when it happened, you know. So it's it's kind of like passed off as if it's, well, an it's urban Todd, legend. isn't it? Yeah, it's Todd. Yeah. So I'm wondering at this point, do we remember that Todd? Do, uh, do we? Uh, is the film subtle enough? And I don't think it is. No, that we realise. Oh wait a minute, Todd was one of the kids from the beginning. I mean, if you watch enough films like we do, we're like, that's definitely one of the kids from the beginning. It's yeah. got to be, you know, you know, you know the you know the formula of the films, yeah. you know. The older camp council guy, it's going to be one of those kids from the beginning. And it yeah. was Todd. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Todd, you are, you are actually one of the fuckers who set him on fire. Yeah. But the funniest thing about this scene for me, and I, um, it was the music at the reveal of the fake mask killer. Yeah. It sounded like when you completed a computer game in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> like when you finish a Clapcom classic on a Spectrum 128K and you get like this little 16-bit, no, sorry, 8-bit little bit of music pops up. And I was like, that is the weirdest bit of music ever to yeah. go there. And of course, the, all the music in the film was done by Rick Wakeman from the uh, prog rock band, yes. Yeah, which is and, a weird 
really weird, isn't it? And it? I don't think it really. I mean, you wouldn't look. You wouldn't listen to this and go, "Oh, that's Rick Wakeman from Yes." It just sounds like a horror film soundtrack of the time. In, yeah. In, in regards to the instrumentation, there was actually one little scene before we got to that, which I'll yeah. quickly mention, which is these kids do not seem to understand how to canoe. There was a canoeing montage. <laughs> yeah, there was. Where it, they just and that was. That felt like how that literally felt like I was watching something like Wet Hot American Summer there, that scene. Yeah. They're just, you know, <laughs> they're just throwing water over each other. And I was just, ah, oh, I was just watching it going, how, it's not how you can, can at all, any of you. You're yeah. all going to die really <laughs> soon. And well, <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. However, before we, get, before we get to uh, the, the, the infamous raft scene, we do have a bit more creepy stuff. Yes. Uh, we've got a creepy camera work alert where. There was a almost a crash zoom in on Karen's chest for no reason. No. Uh, Eddie gets a little bit rapey. Slade yeah. gets a little bit rapey. And Alfred keeps on being a pervert. Yeah. Which is what you mentioned earlier. Yeah. He, you know, I think I think Eddie is a good one to touch on. Um, I'm. That's not a pun either. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, because it does. It's it's just it's mental. You know, it's it's both. It's both of these characters are extremely rapey. And it's not, un- I don't think it's uncommon to have a rapey character in uh, 80s it's horror. Like film. But to have yeah. two, you know, in the same <laughs> film, it's kind of like they were like, oh, we want, we want two people like that and we want both of them to die, you know? So, and don't forget, our de facto hero, as the film goes on, is also a pervert. Yeah, which is just a so weird. A weird pervert. Yeah. Then that, you know, circling back to the early scene, he's like, I just wanted to scare her. Okay, serial killer behaviour, you know, red flag right there. Yeah, you know. <laughs> red flag. That's why I think I think if it wasn't an 80s film or it was like a bit more of a modern one, they should have done something really clever there with Alfred, you know, being related to the killer or something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, they could have done something really clever to do it. Um, what was I going to say? But yeah, 58 minutes into the film is when Holly Hunter finally gets her first line. Because I was trying to place who she was in the film. Yeah. And I don't can't even remember a character's name. I don't even think she, she gets called by her name on I screen at all. I read it was Sophie. I, I Sophie, just read yeah. it that it was Sophie. But I think this brings us nicely to the highlight of the film for many people, which is the the slaughter on the raft. And Jesus, yeah. man, that this is probably the most edited scene, and depending on which version of the film you've seen. Yeah, this was just cut to pieces by the censors. Well, that's it. You know, we we speak about it kind of being you know, a video nasty. And this is this scene, the raft scene, is definitely the, um, you know, the, the goriest scene in it. Uh, we get, um, I think I kind of, I think there's a body count of 10 in the film. Wow. And I think five people die at this point. Either four or five people die at this point. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was heavily censored. And actually, you know, speaking about... Um, it was. It did actually get a release um, in nineteen uh, November fifth, nineteen eighty one, by um, Handmade Films, which was a British film production distribution company. Which I'm just looking on um, on Wikipedia, and it was founded by George Harrison. Um, and the notable, <laughs> yeah, and the notable films that it distributed were uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian um, and With Nailing. So. It's kind of interesting, but I mean, it was heavily. How did this get lumped in with those films, man? Yeah, I can see both of those. They're like cult classics, where you know a good producer's got an eye. Oh yeah, they're going to be hits on a smaller. They're going to be cult films. So I guess he thought this was going to be a cult film, then. 
I when guess it was kind of right because it it did become one. It, it, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the yeah, version it, I saw, the version of this I saw was the Arrow uncut re, uh, remaster yeah. version. Yeah, luckily I saw that on Shudder. Um, but it, it got an X uh, certificate um, with, and the main cuts were to the uh, the murder of the uh, sex worker at the start and some of the gore during the raft attack. Um, but it was eventually released uncut, and then it fell under. I mean, if in our previous episodes of Evil Dead and Last House on the Left, uh, we mentioned that it got it, there was something called the Obscene Publications Act where. If you know video nasties will basically be able to seize and you'd be able to be prosecuted by the police, which is uh, you're talking about censorship from kind of you know state and government, which is absolutely insane. Um, and then they did try to do reissue one, um, but I think it wasn't fully released uncut until 2002, so nearly 19 years later. Yeah, because when I was looking up the history of the film for this. Apparently, EMI, born EMI, accidentally released the uncut version at one point in the UK <laughs> on VHS. And that version is worth a lot of money if you can find it with the uh, EMI form label on it. But like you were saying, that meant that company absolutely got shat on from a great height by uh, <laughs> whoever the people are who went after people in those days. Uh, it'd be, yeah. It wouldn't be to be every FC, it'd be there like you know, hatchet men who went after them. But yeah. Something. But, I mean, that you, you was, is beautiful. Yeah, the, the raft scene, I was just watching it going, how did he just manage to kill five people? And, yeah, how, and, I mean, the thing is, you, you don't want to take a scene like this apart on a technical level too much, because, like, I, as, as you know, like the camera guy myself, I kind of look at something and go, um, how is he under the raft that long? Yeah. You know, and surely one of the kids could swim away faster than he could. He's a massive guy with horrible burns. Well, yeah. I suppose being in the water, that'd be quite nice for him. You know, <laughs> yeah, it might, it might get him down. <laughs> Yeah, probably helped yeah. him out a little bit. Well, so like you said, I think you can't you can't try and jump into the justifications of it because it is a you know it's so it's, it's a slasher. Film. Um, yeah. But what watching it, you know, um, without kind of knowing that it's going what the scene's going to be. I watched this with uh, with Anna just earlier, um, and she, she she likes modern horror films. Anything from 70s, 80s, she just she doesn't really like, she doesn't really get. But we recently watched um, American Horror Story 1984. And obviously, okay, it's yeah. kind of a modern day kind of adaption. And I was hoping that, you know, maybe through that, she might be able to kind of get into them. Um, and she was expecting Karen's body to be in there, you know? Because like you said, how are you going to hide in there for so long? What if those kids weren't on the raft, would he have just been floating in a canoe for the whole film? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, I think this and the, the end uh, kind of the, the really interesting points of the film and we get some great gore. Um, you know, we, we had, uh, so Tom Savini did this and it was interesting because obviously he did the first Friday, the 13th, but he didn't, uh, he was offered to go to, uh, go and do Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, but he didn't. And he didn't quite get how, you know, um, Jason is all is an adult officer, um, because I mean, there's it depends on what you, your interpretation of the end of Friday the Thirteenth is. You know, whether he's a little boy at the end or whether it's a dream. You know, um, but Tom Savini couldn't understand how 
you know, he Jason is all of a, all of a sudden an adult. And he liked the script for The Burning better, so he went to actually go and do that. So it's kind of great because you, you, you have these people involved in this film um, who are, you know, within the kind of the genres are quite well respected you know like i was i was shocked to hear that rick wakeman did the soundtrack because i mean yes uh you know quite a big prog rock band uh, specifically during the kind of late 70s 80s and how did rick wakeman somehow get involved in making a soundtrack for this i think rick wakeman has got to come in purely because of the director or the weinsteins because of their background as like promoters at the time so it was pretty much and again, from like what some of the stuff on Wikipedia, it generally sounds like no one had a fucking clue what they were doing on the making of the film. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, and I can kind of see that because there were so many bits in it where I think I've literally made a scene like that in like a horror film when I was at college. The, yeah. uh, the montage bit of the hospital with all the voices. We lit, well, actually, little, 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 little tangent story here, I'll tell you. We made Do a it. horror film called, called, we made a short horror film called Home. And it was about a guy who was locked up in a mental home who escapes, like all the classics, Always. And then goes back Classic. to where he lives to uh, terrorise a young couple who are living in his old house, and um, it was shit. I mean, it was you know I cast my best <laughs> mate as um, at the time as the actor, uh, as the lead in it. Uh, the girl, uh, the, the girl, and it was literally just whoever was around that day, and only one person on the crew could act uh, in, in the film could act. And yeah. we got our um, one of our tech guys at the college, an older fellow called Roy, and you put the camera on him, and he delivers this absolute. And I'd written a monologue like you know. This is what happened to him. And yeah. he delivered it so well. And I was just like, holy shit, this guy can act properly. <laughs> the first time we ever saw a proper actor, you know, you fuck around with your mates and do like your little horror yeah. films. And then you've got someone who can actually act on it. And he like, like his Royal Shakespeare delivery. And he goes, and I remember the last line. And the idea was that the kid burnt the house down. That's why he got put in a mental home or something. Okay. Yeah. And I've got him there going, I saw him watching it. And, I, and we even, the, uh, do you know what? I'll upload it. I'll find it because I've got the film still somewhere. Yeah, but we made it. a trailer for it. The trailer was better than the movie. Because the movie, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> yeah. I tried to shoot seven locations in one day. And oh, wow. I had to quit because I made her cry. We <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. cut the trailer to Metallica's Metal Militia. Oh, wow. And, you know, we didn't even have, we couldn't even go half the close to the speed of, we didn't have enough good shots. But it's yeah. a standard, someone walking down some stairs, uh, flashlight falling on the floor. But the way I can tie this into the burning was the website for the, the fake website we set up, we, we, didn't, we just put a web address at the bottom of the trailer and it was watchingitburn.com. <laughs> and our production company was called, and going back to the start, what you were saying about production company names, we just literally, I have no idea why we called it this, but it was called A Ruptured Dog Productions. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? They just get random names. So Yeah, that, that was random. <laughs> and we actually did the music, me and my friend, uh, the lead actor. We literally did the music, and it is proper 80s-style synth. Nice. And just guitars and well, as much as we could throw together for free at a time. So, uh, no, I feel like when I'm watching this film, I was just that's kind of bringing it back to it. I was like, this reminds me so much of a film someone would make as their first film when they yeah. don't know what they're doing in certain regards to the montages and... But obviously, you know, they had a lot more money than we did when we did it. We had about 200 quid, I think, and uh, just to cover petrol for the day yeah. to get where we needed to go. But um, I think we were kind of heading into, well, after the, the uh, slaughter on the RAS scene, then everyone who's left alive basically decides to pair off and shag in the woods. Yeah, basically. Sally's death and then Glazier's 
And um, I was trying to think, where the hell was Kropsky hiding when he killed Glazer? And he had to have been in a sleeping bag, right? Yeah, that's what but um, the way was, said. The camera's moving around. I was like, I was watching the game. Well, where is he? Like the, the geography, it kind of threw me off a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, that's what Anna said. Anna was like, where was he? Because, you know, um, it's quite, it, it was quite, you know, funny seeing that Glazer had been talking the big game and then, you know, he, he comes real quick, you know. That's always funny. Um, and then I kind of, I did like his death, though, you know. I thought it was, it was relatively, relatively cool. You know, we had a kind of very powerhouse move where, you know, we see him getting picked up and carried and kind of hung into a tree by some garden shears, um, which I actually think garden shears is when if for a you know for like a uh, for a slasher film you need to have an interesting weapon you know um, mm. and I think I think garden shears are a hard one to pull off to be honest. Yeah, I think I mean you know he was like the caretaker. Right? He could have been. They could have changed the weapons. They didn't. Know. I don't. I don't know if they needed to have an iconic weapon be the pair of shears. I mean, come on, you can do a lot of damage with a good rake if you're that powerful. Yeah. Or, uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, I, again, I just think of the Simpsons scene with slideshow Bob with the rake yeah. continuously hitting him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, there's a, there was an amazing rake murder in X, which came out this year. I which haven't seen X yet. Can... That is the best horror film I've seen this year. Really? It was on one night at my local cinema. One night it was on once. And I was like, yeah, that's got to be a misprint. Booked it. Three of us in the cinema. And unfortunately, really? it was two two younger girls in the 20s. And I'm like the one guy in the hoodie at the back. Yeah. And like, they must have been fucking terrified. I'm just saying. Probably. Just <laughs> He's but, this guy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That, that is a brilliant film. Man. Yeah. And I heard it was very, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like Ty West. So, yeah. Um, ironically, though, that was his first film I'd seen. I still haven't seen House of the Devil. And um, I think was it some of the VHS stuff he did. Yeah, I've seen House of the Devil. I've seen that. Uh, I've seen it. I think I've seen it two or three times, and it's so you know such a good film. He and yeah, well, he I need to has, see that. <laughs> yeah, and he. I mean, he he's a huge fan of kind of seventies and eighties films. And when you watch a lot of his films, you say about the kind of the shots that they're using. He does kind of similar shots. You know, it doesn't it doesn't come off as like a massive budget film i think the budget for this was i was able to find 1.5 million um and it's strange because there's you you hear it's got 1.5 million which is a which is kind of a decent budget for what would have been like back then yeah yeah for back then um but then i kind of read some stuff that a lot of the actors were asked to bring their own clothes because there wasn't a costumes department so i'm thinking most of the money probably went for like um, Rick Wakeman for the soundtrack, Tom Savini for the you know the pay you know the uh, special effects, and then Harvey Weinstein to pay off you know whoever needed yeah. to keep them. Yeah, production assistance. Yeah, yeah, production assistance. Um, the, the, there was one thing that I kind of I kind of had where you know when when the raft floats back um, and you know something's up, and then the arm drops. When uh, when the adult female counselor, I can't even remember her name. Yeah, um, I have not got it written. She's yeah. very unmemorable. She's very unmemorable. When she swims over and the hand jumps and falls down, you know that that really caught cool animal which I, I kind of loved. I love see, I love a good jump scare. I know some people don't like them, but I think they're they're just you know classics. I think just when you're not expecting a jump scare, it works right. Uh, yeah, you, so, uh, for me, a lot of shit horror films 
they're not scary. They're just using music and loud noises to make you think you're scared. Yeah. Um, I always, I, I hated the Woman in Black remake when it came out because it was just Daniel Radcliffe walking around in a house jumping at noises for pretty much 45 minutes. But then there's one shot where he looks out the window and he sees the, like, the ghostly figure walking towards him through the mist yeah. slowly. And it, that's a good, it's not a jump scare, but it's that kind of, you get the sense of dread. And that, and I, I kind of wonder whether the filmmaker decided, okay, jump scare, jump scare, but let's actually now do something actually creepy. Yeah. And that stuff works so much better, you know. Yeah, I, I, I remember seeing that because I've seen the stage play many times and I think it's, it's brilliant. Um, and I think I saw the film and I, I do, I remember there being some creepy shots, but I'm not sure if that's just, you know, rose-tinted glasses, man. I haven't seen it for years. And then I watched the sequel, yeah. which was forgettable um, and unnecessary, but I haven't watched any of them for years. So I'm going to have to watch it back. Um, but the yeah. one... Yeah, you know when we get the raft coming in, um, mm-hmm. and then they go back to the camp. When the when the main female counselor says that there's been, you know, there's a killer, um, there it, it and she it kind of takes like ten seconds for her to run up the stairs, and there's there's like no backing music, there's no sense of urgency from her, so it's kind of like oh, it's almost like somebody fell and like hurt their ankle. Whereas in reality, well, the guy like she eight, tells. Yeah, well, the guy she tells doesn't really seem to believe her. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, oh, shit, when, he's, when like, everyone yeah. starts, you know, the raft comes round. And like, yeah. every, it's, they literally, they go from, oh, it's, oh, yeah, 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 what, you know, it's nothing, what you want about, to, oh, shit, we're all going to die in, like, seconds. Yeah. It, um, I think, like, you know, the, the end of the film, um, it's obviously kind of, we get this scene where Alfie is, he's he's gone to watch Glazer fuck. Um, so, yeah, again, but I don't know why, but he's gone to watch him fuck. He sees him die. And then he goes and he tries to tell um, Todd, you know, wake up, there's a killer. But he's just saying, wake up. You know, he was on top of her and stuff like that. You're thinking, can't you just say you saw Glazier die, you know? Um, but then we get this scene where Alfie is kind of uh, running and he's he's probably got his mouth open and he looks really weird. Um, <laughs> and I just kept thinking, like... Why is this our final boy? In the, and trying to put myself in the shoes because, like we said, you know, if we if we want to look at these films, you've got to think about at the time, you know. Mm. But at the time, would he have been like? Uh, would people have actually found him endearing? You know. No, I mean, <laughs> I, you, you like, for me, I'm 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 team young George Cassandra all the way. Yeah, yeah. He's nice to the creepy guy when he doesn't have to be. Like he's doesn't seem as pervy as the rest of them. And yeah, yeah he 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 should have but it's almost like they thought, oh no, he's a bit of a hefty guy even back then, compared to the other ones. Therefore he can't be the lead. And yeah. what they could have done potentially is well, maybe have had it be one of the girls be the person who, you know, they just needed to maybe connect someone else other than Todd because Todd wasn't really in that much if Todd had been your main character and Todd's yeah. girlfriend was better written and they were in a bit more then maybe the, the whole film could have been Cropsy coming for revenge against everyone who was responsible even though none of them would be there now and they would have all moved on other places yeah. so it's just random <laughs> kids he's going to kill except yeah. Todd because Todd deserves it um, yeah. but then it could have been Todd's missus like you know after Todd in our version get killed and then it's Cropsy after that um, the yeah. unnameable female camper who we can't remember her name. 
And that would have worked a bit more because Alfred, like you say, he's just a weirdo. He's a weird yeah. choice for a man. Or and it, it just got come down to the writing. Yeah. Or it, it could I have do been like, be... oh, you first, man, sorry. I was going to say, I do like the fact, though, that uh, Cropsy does want to burn Todd to death, so he does change up weapons here. He yeah. Gets his nice little flamethrower out, and I was like, that seems fair. And uh, we get the intro of the film again, just in case we did forget. Yeah. Hammer tone, and they play a lot of it. Like, not even like subtly, but here's pretty much the whole scene again. Yeah. It's a cut with um, Kropsky walking around like the Terminator with a flamethrower <laughs> on the way. It was, I thought that was a really cool scene, though, because it was kind yeah. of, you know, it, it, and uh, throughout the film, we get a lot of um, kind of, I think the reveals of Cropsy is actually handled quite well. You know, it, it's, it's that whole thing of if you've got a movie monster and you particularly got somebody who is, you know, horribly burnt or something like that, or like the Phantom of the Opera, for instance. You have mm. when do you reveal that? Um, it's you know it's like it's like Jaws. When do you reveal the shark? You know, and it's that kind of thing. So I kind of like that we got the we got the burnt hand, and then when Alfie's looking out the window at that one scene where George Costanza's you know selling condoms, um, we get a glimpse of him, and you, we kind of get these glimpses of Cropsy, and even when you know they try to the first person vision, which, you know, it was a hot thing to do in slashes, but they kind of tried to warp it. So it's like that his eyes are burned and stuff. But I actually think the reveal of Cropsy was really cool. You know, we get to see this kind of face and then we get that kind of, it's almost like a weird screeching eight bitty noise again. Um, and I, I thought, you know, Cropsy was Look, looked cool and having the ending in that kind of mind shaft the first time i watched it i was i i don't know what i was a bit unsure and i was like uh how come they're just in a random mind shaft but the second time i enjoyed it a bit more um and i read well it i mean yeah i i think you need i i wonder if there's much oh well you actually no you you're gonna say about you read about something about it so that might absolutely contradict what i was about to say okay well i read um that originally it was going to be in either like Cropsy's layer that they'd kind of constructed. Um, okay. But I don't know whether that, you know, uh, might have been too similar to kind of Jason's layer or something, or it was going to be in um, like a boathouse. But then they found that there were bats in the boathouse and it, it was too hard to film in there. So they decided <laughs> to use this kind of random mine shaft that Cropsy had been hiding in, maybe. I don't know. Well, what did you find? Well, I, I just wondered whether it was literally as simple as we, how do we kill him? And they work backwards from there. Well, we're going to burn him and then we're going to stick an axe in his head. Yeah. And therefore, pickaxe, mine. Okay, what we got nearby? Yeah. There's a mine set down there <laughs> or we're near a mine. Okay, let's just use that then. Yeah. The, but, again, we don't know. I think when you're on your first film like this, it, you're, so much of it is dictated by budget and time. You know? Yeah, definitely. It's what you can get done in the time you've got. And you, you know, and yeah, you I mean, end up. Yeah. And, but I will admit, I, I did not, um, and so as we get to, creepy perv Alfred actually does save the day. He is our final boy. Yeah, um, which, I mean, I kind of, I don't get why Cropsy had kept him kind of alive. Yeah. I don't know if it's, if there was supposed why? to be that he clocked Todd there maybe and tried to lure him in. I don't know. It's kind of a weird... I think that's, I think that's what's inferred. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think he, he's trying to infer, but again, at no other point, do we get enough character development on the Kropsky side of things that we know he's there for revenge because he's just killing everyone. It doesn't yeah. matter, you know, animal, mineral, vegetable, he will kill you. 
And so if it had been a bit more that he, if they maybe put the flashback that with Todd earlier, and then we saw Kropsky stalking Todd, uh, then we go, okay, he, this is, that's his reason for being there. Um, but what did um, surprise me was that I did not see the second jump scare as Alfred and Todd are walking out. Really? And Kropsky come, I didn't see that coming at all. I completely forgot about that. And it's funny because every horror film at the time was doing that. Exactly. And yet, that's kind of why I exactly. hadn't. And yeah, I hadn't. I was just like, oh, they got it. And, you know, and then, no, then, now let's, what did they do then? They, they'd already asked him, had they already asked him in here at this point and set him on fire or just set him on fire again at this point? I think at this point, um, they had, uh, they'd stabbed him in the back because I remember there was, was the, it. there's the jump scare when we initially, get the flamethrower and we see Cropsy's face and that got me. I was like, oh, fucking hell. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, you know, Alfie frees himself and stabs Cropsy in the back and he kind of dies. Um, and then as they kind of walk away, Cropsy kind of jumps back at them. I, I kind of expected him to come back mainly because like, you know, like Scream says, the killer always comes back. Um, but I don't think Anna suspected that. So Anna, massively jumped and i was kind yeah. of like i love it you know i love when somebody has that reaction to it um i was sitting here in front of the computer making my notes and watching at the same time as i was going yeah. and and i just like like i said but when he rolled over at the start of the film that got me i wasn't expecting that and it's, it's so stupid it's just rolling and yet that got me and yeah. then like you say again at the end the the standard horror trope of the time and i just didn't see it coming because again i suppose i've not watched and again i suppose it, it feeds into how modern horror films are really different. I won't mention the name of the film, but I saw a film recently, a good horror film that we reviewed, and you have the big scene where the person gets the killer, and there is absolutely no... And we were just waiting there. I mean, David were talking about it, we are going, but he gets the killer in one go, and there's no him coming back again. Yeah. And we were just so surprised by that. And we were there, just like still waiting for it and waiting it. And I don't know whether that's a... Well, clearly it was a great choice for a director, because we were on edge till the end of the film. Still yeah. waiting for it, but then it cuts to another scene. We're like, "Oh, okay, no, he 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 got the killer in one, and okay, cool." But it was yeah. um, it was, we weren't expecting that because you say in films like this, of the of the it's just a trope. You like you say, killer has to be shot, stabbed, burned. You know, decapitation yeah. does work sometimes, not always. No, not always. Um, but, but yeah, it, it is. It was kind of like, and I, I loved you know the, the some of the effects in this. You know, we get like. And I know uh, Karen gets kind of a throat slit, which looks relatively, I want to say tame. Um, but yeah, I think it kind of, you know, it was on the lesser end. But some of the kills are a bit more gruesome. And I think um, Woodcock getting his fingers cut off and then seeing the blood, that was beautiful. Um, <laughs> and, and then, you know, we get to uh, we get to Glazer's death, which is quite cool. But Cropsy himself gets dispatched pretty brutally, you know, because he's, you know, he gets the, the garden shears into the back um, and then the axe into the face and then burnt alive, which is kind of That's like, it. yeah. Um, triple you know, threat, man. Triple threat, Why get, yeah. Um, Why do you get one free? Yeah. Uh, and then the, uh, the kind of, what I really liked about the end and the, the implication of it, and this is kind of for me when, the film almost got a little bit meta in a way is after, you know, um, you know, Cropsy's kind of burning Todd and Alfie walk away. Um, we then go to a campfire, 
you know, and we have yet again the legend of Cropsey being retold. Um, and for me, it kind of got a bit kind of meta looking at horror films in a way in which the story is kind of competing and con- you know uh, continuing, kind of ever going, and the way in which urban myths kind of do spread in a way. You know, everybody just hears it, and kind of gets a bit more and a bit more far fetched, and just carries on. I thought it was really cool, you know. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really nice ending because it, it was just like a really nice epilogue. And like you say, you're spreading the legend on, you're telling the new camp goes in there. I mean, I almost thought, again, there was going to be another jump scare at the end there. Yeah. But I think as we talk about this being a film of its time, if you made this type of film now, um, I'd love to see something like Alfred actually, you know, if you've got pervy Alfred in it and yeah. he survives, you have perfectly Alfred become the killer in the next film. Yeah, you know? That would be cool, you know. There you go, The Burning 2. Well, only how yeah. many years, <laughs> For, years later? And that, yeah. Well, if Michael Myers could still be slashing when he's 76, whatever, you know, maybe Alfie can make a comeback, you know? Um, I also wonder, right, what it would have been like to have seen this film in the cinema. I was always sitting here watching it on a big TV monitor Yeah, in the middle of the afternoon. I'm just thinking... And it kind of, you don't, you know, horror films, you need to see them in the cinema in the dark with yeah. as many people as possible to see here, just to look around and see everyone shit themselves at the same time. Yeah. And that's, I think, why it's such a brilliant genre because, and that's why horror films, and they're always relatively cheap to make compared to any other film. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just need some blood, and that's pretty much it for some blood and some young people who are really creative with <laughs> the film. And that's it, you're good to go. Yeah. And we it's get. A, it's a famous, um, it's a famous Tarantino quote, isn't it, where he goes, everyone's first film should be put a bunch of people in a real room and have them kill each other one by one. Yeah. <laughs> and it is. And like, that is most horror films. Yeah. And I think there's some, I think watching it at the time also would probably would have helped because nowadays, yeah. you know, we, if you watch any, I mean, imagine going back and showing somebody from the 80s, something like Infinity War, you know, where it's all green screen <laughs> and CGI and, you know, it, it, there's so much to it. But back then, these effects would have probably been state of the art. So whilst we kind of look back and we might think, actually, you know, there, for instance, Eddie's death when, you know, he, he gets knocked back and then he gets his throat kind of stabbed in. And you can see that, you know, it's his head kind of on a body. And it kind of, it doesn't, it looks a little ropey these days. And it's kind of like maybe hasn't held up so well. At the time, would that have been like fucking hell this is like you know state of the well, art i suppose i suppose it was because people deemed it that violent well the bbfc and census deemed it that violent that it got almost like you say you got almost got an certificate and had to have severe cuts and by modern standards that is pain that is yeah. not in any way horrific at all a couple of no. i mean you know arguably this last series of stranger things which is what a 12 or no it's a 15 it's a that 15 yeah it's much more gorier than pretty well not gorier but I'd say the horror element in that is a lot more yeah. invasive than what you get in the burning. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's modern days, kids are, you know, it's almost that you've gone so far with extreme gore in like, you know, the really horrific stuff, like something like Martyrs, that you yeah. can't go any further. And exactly. so the current crop of horrors now that are coming out, it's, you've got your Hollywood, you know, standard, you know, you've got stuff like Smile coming out soon with, yeah. and things like that, where it's, your standard Hollywood horror film, but then you are getting all your Ari Asters and uh, all the kind of, I hate to use the term elevated horror, it's just yeah. a horror film that's a bit 
Like, it's just a horror. It's just a clever horror film, right? Just, That's it. It's, it's just a smart a... horror film. Yeah. And it's it's an evolving. It's evolving. It's it's a way with new directors evolving the form. And that's what any good director uh, has done with genre work over the years. You evolve the form while still playing tribute to the original stuff, but doing it in a new way so it's not predictable. And then people go, oh, that's really cool. Because it was a little bit like that, but it's also something new and original. And nothing's yeah. original anyway these days. Yeah, it's, no, always, it's just people forget about stuff, you know. Yeah. I love, I love online where someone will post something on Twitter and go, oh, have you seen this film? And it's like fucking seven. Yes, of course, everyone's in seven, man. You know, but then <laughs> yeah. I suppose if you're, if you're like 17 and you're posting online and you've just discovered it first time and it's blown your mind, brilliant, great. And we shouldn't actually be like, okay, fuck you guys, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I hate like the blatant clickbaiting engagement posts that people put out yeah, on like that. I'm just like, okay, but it's great. And it's, it's a hard to tell. Yeah, so um, you wanted to mention about uh, Final Girls and Fish. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this film kind of, obviously everyone always goes on about Friday the 13th as the horror camp, the horror film camp classic. But obviously The Burning, the way it's been established at the start, was maybe written before it was and just took a bit longer to get into production. Therefore, this could actually be you know one of the grandfather yeah. films of the whole, whole genre. And when we've talked about how Obviously, it's a film of its day in regards to, you know, piss poor representation of women and <laughs> dodgy sexual assault stuff and how you don't have just one rapey character, but two and a bit of a creepy pervert guy as your final boy. <laughs> but if you look at the legacy of the film, it has led to stuff, I think, like uh, one of my favourite underrated horror films of all time, which is uh, The Final is it the final Girl or Final Girl. Final Girl. Taysa Vermaga. And it's got... Ali Shuckerwatt from Arrested Development, from yeah. uh, Mill Ditch. It's just, it's so, and for that type of film, I mean, it's it's a horror comedy that spoofs this film, essentially. Yeah. But it does it so well. And not, I, I just, I never hear anyone talking about it. You know, it's never got a decent release anywhere. It was, I, I, I think I saw it on, I know it came to Netflix in, in the last couple of years at some point. Yeah, it's, so it's made, on Netflix now. It's on Netflix now. All right. So guys, if you've not seen The Final Girls, or Final Girls on Netflix, go and watch it. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's, it's like, watch The Burning first, and then watch Final Girls. Because <laughs> if you watch it the other way around, you wouldn't be able to watch Take The Burning seriously, I don't think. Yeah, no. Um, but no, The Final Girls is kind of great. It kind of, it works as a kind uh, as a parody, but there's also quite a, quite a heartfelt story at its core, which I think is, you know, it, it, it was the main kind of driver behind it. When I was watching it at first, I heard, you know, it's kind of this 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 parody of you know nineteen eighties kind of slasher films and camp slashers in particular. But then once I actually started watching it, and quite quickly, it kind of establishes that there's kind of an emotional hook to it, um, and there's kind of a reason behind it. Yeah, I was I was kind of you know I was really into it, um, and it was it's such a strong film. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's that central relationship between, you know, that and that idea that it's almost got a back to the future thing to it for me that you go back in time or, you know, into a magic film <laughs> for a yeah. burning character, but you can save your mother's life, even though she doesn't actually know it's you. Yeah. And, you're, and there's so many quality touches. I love it. Like, you know, when they have the flashback, they're aware they're in a flashback when it goes black and white and they trip over the titles, you know, yeah. so many fourth wall breaking elements of the film. But also, the kills are genuinely really good in it. It spoofs yeah. the genre so well. And like you say, it's what makes it work is it's got that 
hot. And the end scene in the field with the fight is just, it's, it's, it's so well done. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I love that film, man. It's, and again, I don't think you would have got that if you hadn't had a film like The Burning. I think probably as great as The Final Girls is, what a lot of people saw in the last year or so was uh, the Fish Street trilogy on Netflix. Yeah. And 1978, again, that to me plays like a modern version of this, but it's actually written by people who, you know, can write female characters. Yeah. But again, Sadie Sink's performance in that. And the whole storyline with her sister in it, which is so integral to the whole Fish Street trilogy overall. Yeah. Uh, I even wrote the time, I was like, oh, Brit is in this, because I'm a massive community fan. As yeah. Well, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we covered is... Fear Street when it was live, and it was, it was, there was, there was something about Fear Street, I think, where it, it was, I don't know, it was like this trilogy of films that was interconnecting, and it was almost like, you know, it was like an event. Everybody was kind yeah, of yeah. buzzing for it, you know. And it, it was well, really I think, wasn't it, you guys probably mentioned this, because, uh, wasn't it that pre-COVID, the original plan, it was going to come out in cinemas a month apart. Yeah, that would have been great. That would have been amazing. But even now, it's still a week apart. Everyone tuned in. And, you know, but arguably the bizarre thing that Netflix, who was supposed to be the company that, you know, you can binge watch everything at a time. Even they chose to not release all three films at once yeah. and do to get people to tune in. And I think if you look now, in the way content's released, Netflix is the only people that are still doing uh, the bulk uh, the, the bulk releases on one day yeah, everyone's going back because pe- people want that water cooler moment they want the social media engagement where people are talking about a film for longer yeah. and it, you know if a show's on over eight weeks as opposed to you can watch it all now then people are going to go on and talk about it a lot more yeah and I think you do like you have those water cooler moments and you you almost dissect things you know when you when, like uh, uh, House of the Dragon is on and it's great to yeah. have that kind of Game of Thrones buzz back because that was always good. But have it, but actually going well. This, you know, what did you think of this scene or this scene or this scene? Whereas when you have, you know, the whole season comes out in one day and you kind of you binge it over a weekend, you don't pick, you don't take it all in, and then after a weekend, you kind of forget about it. You know, it'd be like getting the new Game of Thrones book and just speed reading it because you need to get to the end before everyone else does. And yeah. not taking any of it in, and then you're going to have to go back again. And um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, I'm trying to think how we link it back. I was trying to, trying to uh, <laughs> cut that bit. I was trying to. No, well, I guess um, it's, it's about the legacy of the film, isn't it? Um, yeah. And it there was, you know, uh, the, I did read that a sequel was kind of discussed, but I don't think it ever seriously went anywhere. Um, you, I mean, Cropsy, like we said, was kind of done over pretty hard. The last shot of him is you know, axe in the face, burning, you know, like he did at the start. Uh, so for me, I kind of, the idea of it, it, it ending there and then having the campfire that, yes, this story lived on, and it kind of, it, it kind of has its own life would have been, you know, it, it works having it just one for me. You know, there's certain films where, like I, uh, another kind of underrated slasher film that I'm, I love is My Bloody Valentine. You know, the fact oh, that, yeah, that didn't yeah. have a that, there was a sequel discussed for that, but the fact that it didn't have a sequel kind of makes it a bit stronger, really, because you you do kind of wonder what happened to the you know what happens to these characters, that sort of stuff. But having it, you know, just be one and done makes it a bit more special. Because I mean, if we if we'd have had seven the burning films and Cropsey ends up going to 
he can't go to space right. because Jason's going there. So he goes somewhere else, you know. it's He goes back under in the time. Sea. Under the sea, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, I think it, it makes it, it kind of has its, has a greater impact sometimes being on its own, at least to me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think, I think well, well, yeah, you, you, I think one and done, too, I mean, like you say, just vaguely connecting this, um, one of my all-time best ever cinema experiences was for Freddy versus Jason. Nice. But I got to see it, opening night of it being out in America. I was on, oh, wow. I just graduated uni. So it was 2003, I think it was. I mean, and mate, we were over there for two weeks and it was so blisteringly hot that we must have gone to cinema about four or five times just to find somewhere to sober up that had air conditioning. And <laughs> we saw loads of films. And uh, it was the, um, it, I think it was sort of the main sort of, it's their version of Leicester Square. So it's like, yeah. it, uh, they're in New York, whatever the main cinema is, and all you American viewers are gonna, listeners are going to know this. Yeah. And we went there, opening night, and we went in the cinema, and it was like walking into screen two. Almost really? the whole audience was dressed up, like in screen masks and like Freddy, looking like Freddie and like Jason. And wow. Even there was a, I always remember, we were on the fourth floor of the building, and there was an elevator guy who would just push the button in the cinema, and he was dressed <laughs> up in all, as wow. um, Jason Voorhees. That's and awesome, man. Thinking, this is, yeah. And then you're sitting there, and it's my first experience of an American cinema audience. Yeah. And like people are just yelling out. And I was like, I was thinking, this is awesome for this film. If I was watching someone like American Beauty, I would hate this. Yeah. <laughs> also, I don't, you know, like the girl from Destiny's Child, the really unfamous one who was in it. Kelly Rowland. Uh, that's the one. She, she's in it. And that was like her acting debut. And people were just yelling at her. They wanted to see her die on screen. Like, nice. I was around going, this is like being in, and like, you know, you watch the film later back, it's fine yeah. what it is. But the experience of seeing it in the cinema just made it, you know, I will never forget that. Just people like screaming bloody murder at the screen and like cheering loudly, <laughs> really getting into it for every kill. That's awesome. Yeah, I've always wanted to to, to have that because I, I think we spoke about this on an episode before, but when, you know, British cinemas are relatively, were just reserved. I think I've had, yeah. I went to, I think when I watched, uh, Endgame or Infinity War, there was some cheering. Um, when I watched uh, one of the Star Wars films, there was some cheering. But apart from that, you don't really get much. No, and I think it is definitely, although I think within the horror genre, I think if you go to like a more indie cinema, yeah, and it's you know a more specific screening tailored, like you know, like Fright Fest was on, wasn't it? Like, like yeah. last week, last weekend. And so you know, you're seeing a film there with fans of the genre. When I was at uni, we had like a tiny cinema in the in the uni, and we had Jane Silent Bob Strikes Back on there. Nice. And everyone must have seen it already before we got it in there, because it was literally like a sing along, like you know the whole click commander speech. Everyone was like repeating it word nice. for word on the screen. <laughs> and you're looking around, you're like everyone here knows this film, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just a well, actually, it's a very good example. It's recently was a film you just talked about, which uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Yeah. And I think you guys liked it more than I did. Um, yeah. Has our review come out yet? Yeah, I think our review out. I, I think, think it did. Yeah, I think it came out last week, your review. Yeah. yeah well, I think. We've done so many pods recently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, well, I put my, I, 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 as I said at the time, I said, I think, I didn't think it was scary. I didn't think it was in any way gory. I mean, the burning, arguably, is much gorier. Yeah, definitely. Bodies, bodies, bodies. But I was like, is it funny? That's the thing for me. Is it funny? And I think it was so 
blackly comic yeah that it went over the audience's head the podcast monologue and again for all of us you know who are in podcast man that was the biggest laugh for me i was cracking up there it was incredible and yeah, yeah. i'm looking and I, but because no one else was reacting in the cinema i was just kind of like chuckling and i was looking at them have people just not got this is it still too clever that's or it it was the wrong audience it was brilliant well, satire and there was the whole vet scene i was when they found out about that you know I, I was oh. creasing and I think for me, like up until that point, I, I was kind of, you know, I wasn't sure what it was, but once, once that happened, then I kind of got, you know, this is satire. This is what it is. And then we have people I, walk out. Really? 20 minutes in about four people walked out. Was oh, like, wow. And they thought the kids were so insufferable. They couldn't stand to spend any more time with them. I was oh, like, well, wow. no, you know, we're, we're waiting to, and I think it's because it's an unlimited screening, right? You guys saw it the same. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and there's certain people that you, especially the Unlimited lot, we will go to any film that's released. I mean, there's a secret screening tomorrow night, and I have no idea what it is. And they're sending to horror. Okay. And there's so many horror films coming out. I mean, before Bodies, 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 every trailer was a horror film. Yeah. And I was just sitting there thinking, and the rumours are it's either going to be Smile or something called The Hatchling, which I know absolutely nothing about. Yeah. I know nothing about that. But do you know what? Sometimes that is the best way, especially with horror films, I think, because because they're a lower genre, not a lower genre, because they're a lower budget. Yeah. Thing. I, I, but the film, the, the, the directors and the uh, studios, sorry, the studios, they have to cram everything into the trailer. Well, you know, otherwise yeah. people won't go and see it. It's very rare you get a horror trailer that doesn't show you almost everything that's in the film. Yeah. Uh, that was the great thing about X. I knew nothing about it at all. The Friday night, I was like, am I really going to go and see Batman for the third time? Yeah, three weeks. You know, I probably will. And then that's all the X was on. I was like, brilliant. I know nothing about it. I know it's a horror film. And that's it. And I walked in completely clean to it. And I was like, this is amazing. Well, that's why I don't um, watch trailers, man, because they just give yeah, away so much. You know. Well, like, I was trying to. I was trying to. I was. I was actively trying to avoid any trailers for Nope the other week. And then yeah. the, um, the film I saw before Nope showed the, the full trailer for Nope. I was like, oh wow, that's a big. <laughs> and again, it's, and again, it's because the studio didn't have. Despite Jordan Peele's record, the studio clearly didn't have faith that the film would be a big hit um, unless they showed you what it was about. Yeah, I guess. It's a shame in that, man. Yeah. Um, But I know kind of touching on the video nasty side of this, um, it's interesting that that this was a video nasty. Maybe it's because of, like we were saying, you know, kind of spoiled by modern day stuff. But the other two video nasty films we did was... um, the first one we did was Last House on the Left. Obviously, 1972, um, kind of, uh, you know, a rape-revenge thriller. And, you know, quite un- an uncomfortable... I mean, rape is always an uncomfortable, um, you know, topic in a film. Um, but quite, you know, very brutal. And especially for, like, 1972. So, and then to have, you know, people being, you know, somebody being chainsawed and, you know, stabbed and all this kind of stuff... It was quite bleak, and you could see why that's a video nasty. To then go to the second one we did, which was Evil Dead, you know, there's quite, you know, that is quite gruesome and quite bloody. Um, I, th- I think the, the common denominator between both ones you've mentioned there that get it um, on the list is the sexual violence side of things. Yeah. And even to this day, that stands. A film can, uh, any film can, you know, you can lop off arms, limbs, heads, whatever. But the second there's a sexual element involved in it, that's what gets the film an 18th certificate. 
I mean, I don't think you can really get banned these days. There's not many films that no. even come close to getting banned on content now. Because uh, audiences, you know, it says it in the BBFC range. This film contains, well, you know, having to put trigger warnings on everything. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you get too much of that in the horror, in the horror sphere, because people are like, no, I want to see the most disturbing yeah, shit possible. Yeah. Show it to me. So yeah, but, I just kind of found it interesting that this wasn't. I mean, a lot of horror films did, you know, kind of end up getting cut. You know, getting bits cut, and particularly getting gore cut and stuff like that. So. It, to get it to the level where I mean, the most br- yeah, for me the most brutal bit of these films are the raft scene, you know, particularly yeah. Woodcock getting the fingers cut off, um, the throat slit, and then probably Cropsey's death. But outside of that, I don't think you know it was particularly. I I, I, wonder, I wonder if it's because of the the time, like like you say, this film doesn't feel comparable to the other two. In no. extreme content in any way at all. I mean, like just everything in Last House on the Left is pretty disturbing. Even now. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, even the remake. I remember seeing the remake a few years back, and even that was like, well, I know you're a pale imitation of the original, but yeah. just the basic idea of what the film is is still pretty disturbing in a lot of ways. Yeah. Evil Dead, definitely the tree scene that gets it out. I think if the tree scene's not in it, maybe. And a few other like the eyeball bits and the yeah. the ankle bits. I think they're the bits that get it in there. But here, yeah, like you say, in in the burning, there's not really any. I think it's got to be how long they stay on the scenes. Yeah, potentially. You know, that's that's it's the length of it. You always read um, uh, interviews with horror directors, and they're on about stuff content having to be cut. Oh, we had to cut a few seconds here. We had to cut a few yeah. seconds there. So I, I guess how long you show something is key to the ratings these days as well. Yeah, I guess so. I just thought, you know, I just found that kind of, you know. <laughs> It interesting because I'm look, you know, there was a list of um, of video nasty films, and I think it was around sixty. I think that were on there, and I'm looking through some of them now, and you know, around you know, there's uh, you know, uh, Cannibal Holocaust, for instance, extremely kind of graphic. You can understand why that would have been, you know, a video nasty. Um, <laughs> stuff like maybe you know the Driller Killer and. Um, you know, no, Cinderella Killer again, and it, that's not. It's weird. It's like almost if Taxi Driver was a horror film. Yeah, anyway, it's kind of got that that real New York aesthetic to it. But yeah, I mean, look, looking at a lot of the, uh, I'm just having a quick look at the list myself, and some of them are just obvious. You know, it's anything involving Nazis. <laughs> yeah, Gestapo, Last Orgy. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's not going uh, And a lot of it's the Italian stuff as well, isn't it? You know, it's like uh, yeah. Umberto Lenzi, um, the Giallo stuff, and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. I'm looking at the the house on the edge of the park, which was, you know, pretty much just the house. Uh, yeah, that was pretty much just the house, the last house on the left. Yeah, you know, it's kind of, you know, uh, zombie, zombie creeping flesh. You know, it's it, it, it's strange what makes it, to be honest. Maybe I it is. I, don't think, it, I think it's the, the, I think it has to have the sexual element to it. And I think it has to be how long you linger on that shot um, to get it done. One thing you were just uh, just looking at all these uh, horror nasties, and I'll tell you one that comes up, and it comes back to the video nasty days and it being the illicit thing is, so you said your time, you know, it was like DVDs being copied and getting yeah. downloads of people when you when you kind of go into it. Now, for me, obviously, I'm a bit older, so when we had, uh, before like, you had the X-Rental VHS shops, back when I was a kid, uh, there would be a man in a van who would travel around <laughs> and have copies of oh, all wow. the films. And I'm sure you had loads of dodgy stuff as well. 
Probably. But um, that's the first time I saw Ghostbusters was on one of these because um, <laughs> I, I was never allowed to see it at the cinema. I could oh, have wow. seen Ghostbusters in the cinema, but the uh, woman at the counter apparently said to my dad, no, it's pretty scary. It'll probably mess the kid up. And it, I, I, I still to this day, the opening of Ghostbusters still scared the shit out of me because I saw <laughs> it when I was way too young. Yeah. But I remember looking through the... Uh, so you'd have like a folder full of DVD covers. Oh, sorry, VHS covers. And you'd yeah. you know, pick which ones you wanted. And some of the... And that's where I saw Demons for the first time. Yeah, which awesome again, film. Terrific. Um, there's one film I've never seen, and I've looked it up, and I've still not got around to watching it, but it was called Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, and it's a skeleton cuddling a child on the front cover. And I thought, oh, wow. That's an awesome image that's stuck with me forever. But yeah. again, it was, I'm sure like the burning probably was in that pile of stuff that was there at the time, because it was always low-budget horror films and like low-budget action films. In fact, I think the first... 18 certificate film I ever saw was a Chuck Norris action film called <laughs> The Octagon or something. <laughs> and there was that, I figured like it was my, my, hot, my, my pathway into like 18 films wasn't actually horror. It was like Chuck Norris bad action films in the 80s. No, I love it, man. It's so good. You know, I think for me it was, it was the video shops. And like you were saying, you know, I'd go in um, and I'd look at the front covers, obviously far too young to, to even be touching the boxes of this. And I would, I would, you know, look at the back and you'd always get the stills from it. And I would make the films in my head, you know, and, and it was just, so, it was so good. I remember my, uh, you know, my older brother having people round for, uh, friends round for a sleepover and they'd got Children of the Corn free and they were watching <laughs> it. And I remember sneaking downstairs and watching it with them, you know, and it's kind of, I think, you know, it's kind of, like I said earlier, it's almost like a rite of passage, you know? Well, the, the one film that I couldn't watch for years, I only recently watched it, I think maybe three or four years ago for the first time fully. Uh, back when I was a kid, um, my room was being painted, so I had to sleep on the sofa and down in the living room. Yeah. And my dad was watching late night, and so I was trying to sleep on the sofa, and he was watching An American Werewolf in London. Oh, wow. And I must have been about eight or nine. And <laughs> the whole bit in the hospital and then in the forest, and, with the, yeah. and that, that was it nightmares for like weeks on. and it was one of those films for years i never watched the end of it and it was only like recent years i thought like, shut up everyone's yeah i should i should get around and watching it again oh, such an incredible film man yeah i mean have, yeah. You, have you have you got anything else to add about the burning about the burning i, I think uh not really i mean I, like i think when i first watched it i was like eh, it really didn't make an impression on me but rewatching yeah. it recently now the legacy of the film what it's gone on to i mean you can even argue it's uh responsible for some of the stuff not even in the horror genre stuff like uh, Wet Hot American Summer. It's that yeah. whole summer camp yeah. genre has become its own thing. I mean, it was funny because Wet Hot American Summer came out and there was another one around the same time called Happy Campers that no one ever talks about. Yeah, so it was never very heard. similar. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's worth checking out because they always oh, that whole thing you were saying earlier on, you get two films of the same come out at the same time. There was Happy Campers and there was uh, yeah, um, Wet Hot American Summer. But, yeah, I think with The Burning, it's, I, I think we covered it. I don't think there's much more to say no. on there. Well, I mean... This, except, so this... except for, I just thought something, except for, you, you, right at the very start you were saying, it's based on this, like, urban legend yeah. of this guy called Brofsky. Well, have there been other films made based on that legend? So, um, one film that we did, we did cover was, um, it was uh, Madman. So, originally... Um, that was going to be uh, kind of based on the legend of Cropsey. Um, 
but you know once uh once they kind of caught wind i think apparently i read that somebody um went about uh and uh somebody's boyfriend was going to be in um uh, the burning and they went to audition for madman because it filmed around the same time but it was released later and they said um you know my boyfriend is in the burning and it's about cropsy so um they kind of re- completely redid that i'm trying to see if there's anything else um but it is you know the there's mainly the documentary. Um, I'm trying to find... And that would be interesting. Uh, it would be very interesting if you did almost like a, you know, a, uh, a, re, a re... Well, just a remake of The Burning, but, you know, written competently by modern directors and yeah. taking that legend. <laughs> uh, that's because people always say, oh, why do you remake the best film? Why don't you remake films that aren't as great? Yeah. And this would be a perfect example. I mean, because even with horror films, right, you've got what, what, what have you got coming out late this year? You've got A New Evil Dead coming out. Yeah. And it's set in a tower block. So I'm not too sure on that one. Well, I, I sounds, always feel like... I it feel sounds like, like it demons. Out of the wood yeah. yeah. It sounds like Actually, demons sounds too. Like demons. Yeah. You know? And then like um, you've, got the, you've got the new Hellraiser. But the new Hellraiser, it, I think they, you know, they're, they're doubling down on having the, uh, the trans actor, Jamie Clayton, who's the lead in it. Yeah. And they, and it's brilliant. And like you say, you see all this stuff online where people are going, oh, well, but Pinhead's a bloke. And he's like, actually, you know, if you, if you know your stuff, and I think a lot yeah. of horror people do, they do know their stuff. And that Clive Barker's background, I remember reading Nightbreed when I was a kid. That's yeah. Absolutely. That's something. Remake Nightbreed, for God's sake. But that was a brilliant book and a fairly not great film. From what I remember. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the, I think um, you, could, you could say that, I mean, it's based on an urban legend so you could potentially say that the you know that that it lives on in stuff like Blair Witch or yeah. even the film Urban Legends you know it, you could say that it kind of lives on in that way because yeah we get you know classic campfire stuff but it's also based on you know a, a popular New York urban legend a lot of the people who were filming on the burning were familiar with it um, and then, I mean, I'd recommend the documentary. It's so, so yeah, good. yeah, yeah. You have to send me the link to that, man. I definitely want to yeah. check that out. Like, I think it's been the sound of things. You, you, you like the documentary more than potentially the film because that, yeah. as close as it's real, you're kind of like, yeah, that's more disturbing. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is, man. Um, but no, I mean, this was a first watch for me. It was something that I wanted to watch for a while, but I wanted to save it for when we were going to do an episode on you know because yeah, yeah. i wanted to do that but i mean i really enjoyed it i can i think of the under the you know under the radar kind of slashes outside of the big ones i think it was it's kind of one of the more enjoyable ones um and yeah. and, and as form, formulaic as it is in places there are always a few bits in it that surprise you like I, I when i was going through my notes i was like i wasn't expecting that i wasn't expecting this yeah i wasn't expecting you know if you've got the one kid who's being picked on usually all the kids are dicks to them not one of the kids is a dick to him, like Glazer yeah. was the Alfred, but all the other kids are quite nice and they're helping him out. And when he like the whole bit where he's trying to swim and they help him out there. And, you know, young George Costanza just being the standard <laughs> young citizen that he is in the film. Yeah. You know, um, we, I mean, there so, you go. There's, there's your burning sequel. Just get Jason Alexander back. Yeah. Very burning sequel. Get him back. Man. Um, oh. But no, I mean, so before we end, do you want to, do you want to let us know where uh, people can find your podcast? Uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're um, 
forgotten. Tell me start again. <laughs> yeah, we're we're at, we're called We Needed Roads. Uh, the reason we're called We Needed Roads is all the other best Back to the Future references have already taken nice. for uh, podcast names, and so we just got a really down the down the list of references for it. I mean, admittedly, also saying Earthling, my name is Darth Vader from the Unknown to the Planet Vulcan is a bit too long for a uh, podcast one, and that would just confuse people as well. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Back to the Future is my favourite film, and it's David's, I think, his third favourite film as we did our uh, top 10 films of all time yeah. a, little while, a little while ago. And uh, So yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're basically, like I say, we're, um, you can find us pretty much wherever podcasts are. We're on uh, Spotify, we're on um, Apple, we're on all the places now. So just, just search We Did Roads podcast. We're everywhere. And uh, uh, follow us on Twitter, definitely, because uh, I'm active on it pretty much every day. And so I'll, I'm always resharing stuff and interacting with the other people that follow us on there. And, uh, you know, you interact enough with us, we'll give you a shout out on the pod. Yeah, awesome, man. Um, but, yeah, thank you for, for joining me, Neil. Um, it's been great. It's, been, it's nice to finally meet you and actually talk about, you know, a film kind of in person. Um, but yeah, as always, yeah. yeah. As always, um, you know, thank you to all the listeners for checking out the show. Um, remember to hit the subscribe button, and if you could leave us a lovely review, it always helps. Um, and we will see you next week. Bye.